what the F did we just watch yesterday? Between the Broncos starting a practice squad quarterback, you have Tyreek Hill almost 300 yards, Derrick Henry three touchdowns, almost 200 yards. The Bears an absolute flop on Sunday night. That was a crazy day of football. Uh, yeah, I got it. I took it on both ends. Uh, you know, I got a, I played against Derrick Henry in fantasy, you know, uh, drinking my liver into a shriveled, uh, uh, you know, prune on Sunday night football. And, uh, I, I will say this, how, what does it say about Jameis Winston that he had to watch no a practice squad player and a tight end playing quarterback, uh, for that game? I mean, that must say uh, something about how Sean Payton honestly feels about Jameis Winston. Because uh, Taysom Hill was not electric yesterday passing the football. No, no. And uh, But, you know, the Saints were like the best situation for them to go up against a practice squad wide receiver. So they, yeah. they really had you know, nothing to lose in it, that To situation. me, yesterday was another reminder of we can sit there and pretty accurately predict at the end of the year what team's records would be. I mean, we're both about like 75 80% accurate about where we think with the playoff teams and where teams will be record-wise. You, as a whole, you can predict a season in the NFL fairly accurately, you know, based on coaches, quarterbacks, and overall rosters. But week to week, it's a bleeping toss-up. I mean, it is just uh, – and you never know what's going to happen in the NFL. And as far as Derrick Henry goes, dude, it's tractor Cito season, man. Uh, this is the time of the year where people just do not want to tackle Derrick Henry, and I don't blame him. He's a John Deere tractor. I mean, the guy just is reliable and keeps on chugging along. I mean, I, my uncle's had the same John Deere tractor for like 40 years, and it's running beautifully. Derrick Henry is that huge. He's the biggest anomaly you could think of because he's the prototypical type of guy you would say, oh, he, he's going to last like four years, and then his body's just going to fall apart. But oh, no, I mean this guy—he's such it, a it's throwback. Incredible. I mean, he is a, such a throwback. He looks like a, what you think a running back needs to look like in the '80s, and I think just as defenses get smaller and quicker to to battle the passing game, especially late in the year, they, he yeah. just—he's insane. Is just insane. It yesterday was another great reminder. I think I think that the best way to say it of just you cannot predict. It's too hard to predict week to week. What the NFL looks like, and 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 uh, we'll try to we'll try to dive into it here and uh, piece it together. Any given Sunday. leads us into our week 12 recap episode here on the football lounge we thank you all for tuning in and listening it was indeed a crazy day i want to say that might have been the most wild sunday and week of football that i think we may have seen this year in terms of just so many wild things happening stat lines um, storylines wins and losses yeah it was a weird all across weekend. the board like I, I found myself wanting to watch pretty much every game. Like I was intrigued by every game, regardless of record. Like even the Giants Bengals, I wanted to tune into, um, ju just to just for the shock value of it. And uh, you know, it wasn't very good game, but 
it, it was just that kind of day in the NFL. And uh, so we'll get to our reactions very shortly. But first, Mark, uh, as we have done this season, let's do an on this day in football history. Another good one. We've had, we've had a string of some really uh, impressive, fun ones to pour through. So on this day, November 30th, back in 1987, Mr. Bo Jackson put on a show for Monday Night Football, rushing for 221 yards, scoring three touchdowns in just his fifth NFL game for the Raiders as they beat the Seattle Seahawks 37-14. to You might remember the epic highlight. This was the game where Bo Jackson ripped off a 91-yard touchdown, running himself into the tunnel, completely uh, disappearing from the camera sight. In that one. And I... I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this might have also been the game where he ran over uh, uh, Brian Bosworth at the goal line, where there was that that epic clash of, Boz, uh, of two Titans. Who's great, at, at who does a great job on the Dr. Pepper commercials. He sure does. He sure does. <laughs> he has made himself, you know, he he's had actually like quite a, a career uh, long acting career. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a wild day on Monday Night Football for sure. There are so many highlights from Bo Jackson's career, it's but I think birthday, you can find yeah. about five of them from that. Wait, today, it was it's his birthday? It's Bo's birthday today, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Happy birthday to Bo Jackson. Yeah. Incredible stuff. I awesome. wish him a happy birthday this morning on my radio show. Apparently, it's also Bill Walsh's birthday. Oh, I, so, I didn't I, see I, Bill I, Walsh. I know it's Bo's and uh, Mark Twain's birthday, who would be 185. There you go. 185, <laughs> man. It's, well, if hey, only, listen. you know what... I'm in the Quincy Hannibal market, and he's born and raised in Hannibal. Well, born mm. just outside, raised in Hannibal. There you go. The only reason Hannibal has an economy is because of Mark Twain. So just don't cancel him, <laughs> cancel culture, or else this, that poor little town goes goes away. I think they have a movie named after them, too, but for a wildly different reason. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no affiliation with that. <laughs> no affiliation. Yeah. All right, know, Mark. So, wild, oh, yeah, go ahead. Last thing. the Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, Mark Twain's boyhood home and the birthplace and childhood home of the unsinkable Molly Brown. <laughs> Tiny <laughs> Hannibal, kidding. Missouri, two American icons. How is this possible? Well, you got to come visit. Uh, that's amazing. Town, USA. America's hometown. Tourism site, if I've ever seen one. It is, yeah. Um, all right, well, let's let's just get into some of the headlines. I mean, uh, obviously, ah. the, the night you know, ended on a sour note for bears fans. Yeah. Let's a, start a with the bears Packers. So, um, you know, yeah. let, let's for, so first off a, I think there's an indictment and I tweeted this out. There is two paths now for the bears and I, and I can break them down here now. I think there's, I think there's some things before I get into the paths. I think there's some things Dan that were eye opening to me as a fan and as a defender, I tweeted it out last night. I am a I have been a, a diehard defender of Trubisky and Nagy and Pace, really, like this this whole Bears organization uh since twenty eighteen in that run. Last year injuries and things just didn't go well, but they still ended up eight and eight. And you say, hey, you know, everyone's allowed to have, you know, there's some up and down years. Still was a lot of positives and why I felt so good going into into year three. Uh but like I mean, we have to call a spade a spade. If your head coach and your GM sit there and practice and honestly thought over the past five weeks that Foles gave you a better chance to win than Trubisky, that's an indictment on them. Because the as bad as the offense was last night, it was still way better than anything we've seen under the Foles era of football 
uh, going against legitimate opponents. I mean, obviously, Foles, you know, you take away his second-half heroics to get the win in, in Atlanta and then uh, some uh, beat up, beating up on some bad opponents early on. From what we've seen from Foles over the past four weeks, if you're honestly sitting there trying to tell me that Trubisky was doesn't give you a better chance to win than Foles, then already I, I lose a lot of faith in my head coach and my GM and organization, the people running that organization. If you lit, if you really thought that benching Trubisky was was the best thing for you going forward, so there's that the that's, playbook the playbook was opened clearly. Like you, they had more op- options. Well, there's more with energy, Trubisky more in there. juice. There's more I mean, energy. I sure. saw a tweet. and they ran better. They actually ran the football fairly well with David Montgomery. Like yeah, he had a decent day. I saw a tweet that was basically like having foals is like having. The old dog that limps but knows all, you know, that's but just smarter versus having Trubisky's like having the puppy that pees in your house. And I would honestly, you don't want either, but if you're going to choose one, at least the puppy has energy and juice. And uh, there yeah. was energy and there was juice. And the Bears, a lot of the, that, that game was over by the end of the first quarter because the Bears defense didn't have it. And the Bears defense didn't get after uh, Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers picked them apart like Aaron Rodgers historically has done against the Bears in his career. I think I saw the stat. He's like 25 and th- three against the Bears now in his in his career or 20 50 and, touchdowns, yeah. 10 interceptions, too. And, yeah. and uh, it, you know, and uh, including the one and oh in the playoffs. So uh, obviously, that's an indictment on the Bears organization as a whole. So that was my first big takeaway. If you're actually just talking game, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Now, when you talk long-term, last night to me was a turning point. You lose five in a row. Um, You you start uh, season five and one. You make that decision with Trubisky. Things going into the the toilet so quickly. I think here's the two paths for me, and and we can debate this here now if you want. I think there's only two paths this bears to go. And and the first one is is path one. There's some sort of inside uh, agreement within Hallis Hall from the McCaskies and George McCaskey and then Pace and Nagy that our jobs are safe no matter what. We get a chance at another quarterback. That um that that no matter what we do in in a weird way, losing is okay because it's going to position ourselves to get a Trey Lance, to maybe trade up for a Justin Fields, depending on where the draft order falls. Uh, Maybe it's the kid out of BYU. Maybe it's Mac Jones out of Alabama. But one of those first four, three or four quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence, uh, and or we have a grand plan in free agency uh, or or the offseason to get a Matt Stafford, to get a, a, a Darnold from the Jets, Something like that. So there's either that's that's path one that they're they're not too concerned, and they're not trying to necessarily win now because their jobs not necessarily aren't on the line. That they've got some sort of agreement, uh, and that would include then keeping the defensive core. The other the other path is it's a complete blow up. It's a complete blow up at this point in time. Salvage what you can defensively. Um, you know, there's going to be some contracts you can't move, and there's some building blocks you want to keep. For the most part, I'd like to keep the majority of the Bears' defense. I think that you got great corners, uh, great safety in, in Jackson, amazing linebacker in Cleo Mack. Robert Quinn, you, it was a whiff you overpaid for, and you're stuck with that contract. Um, but you love your linebacker in, in Roquan Smith. He's the your future linebacker for the next uh, decade. He should be. 
And uh, and so you got a lot of great things to work with. And offensively, uh, can you keep Whitehair and Daniels healthy? Interior of the offensive line, I could do with get rid of the rest of the offensive line. I, I still like Montgomery. Uh, and then uh, it, do you sign Robinson? Does the next regime, regime want to sign Allen Robinson and not let him end up in Green Bay and torture you for the next five years? Uh, and then you have a young tight end in Cole Komet. Uh, you have a young receiver in, in Mooney that you really like, and then you go, you you know, the rest of the roster is a uh, overturn, and what can you do? So, um, to me, it's as simple as that. The the, the thought of of defense of of making the playoffs, winning games here, being positive is all at the window. Personally, I don't know which which route I like more right now. I think by the end of the season, I'll know which route I'll want to take more. Um, I, I'm leaning towards a rebuild in the sense that I think. It's so telling that Pace and Nagy thought, no, 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 Foles is better than Trubisky. Let's pay Foles a ton of money and let's bench Mitchell as soon as he makes one bad mistake. That alone tells me that's not the right football minds in the front office and uh, at the head coach position. So it's disappointing. It's frustrating. But the Bears are once again uh, going to be starting over with the with their friends, the Detroit Lions, the bottom of the barrel, the NFC North, once again scraping the bottom of the barrel starting over. Yeah, I mean, we don't look at the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, too kindly when we think about, you know, player moves and stuff. And they went out and paid Nick Foles a, a massive contract and totally whiffed on that. And then he goes to the Bears and they fall for it themselves. So it's like, what does that say about the Bears staff if uh, if we're looking at Jacksonville like a bunch of schmucks? And then here, you know, the Bears are uh, paying for Foles, certainly overpaying for him and, and turning him into a starter over Trubisky. I thought the offense did look a, a lot better with him in there. Uh, obviously, he didn't have a great night, but he also played much better in the second half. Th- this team, there was nothing to, like we've said it before and over and over again, there was just nothing much to gain by putting Foles in there. If you're going to fall apart, just fall apart with Trubisky and see, you know the chips fall where they may. But, uh, yeah, I do agree those are probably what you mentioned, the two most clear routes for the bears to take. I think they're still capable of winning. Now they signed Robinson and just man, wait to see what, what quarterbacks available. I mean, if someone, if, if there is someone like a Matt Ryan that becomes available after this year or Ooh. someone like a, like, I, I don't know. I'd rather take a year on one of those guys and see what you can do with this elite defense and uh, a great potential in some young offensive talent than blowing it up. I would hope they don't blow it up yet, but at the same time, I, I can understand why it's just, I'd rather blow it up with a, with a three and 13 team than yeah. a team. That's probably going to go eight and eight. Well, you and know? that's the so other it's, thing. It's killer. Cause the bears are in cap hell right now um, yeah. going forward. So it's not an attractive job for a future GM or head coach. So I, 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 I listen, if the bears are going into next season and we'll, we'll obviously have a, a talk a lot more about this in the off season. And we'll, I, I want a final point on it. But I'll say this right now. If the Bears are going into next season with either one of the top three or four young rookie quarterbacks and or one of the top two or three available gets in the free agency market for quarterbacks or trade, meaning, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm very serious, it's, these are kind of my limited three n- names of like Darnold, Stafford, or maybe, um, you know, maybe you can pry away uh, a Derek Carr or something like that. Those are the kind of three names that I would – I would look maybe a Jimmy G. I, you could maybe sell me on a Jimmy G, and and Nagy and Pace. 
That, then you know what? I there is some excitement for me going into that year because it's a new quarterback. But um, if they're telling me that they're going to blow it all up and and just start fresh, I, I'm I won't be excited until I see who's the GM, who's the coach, and what they right. do at quarterback. And so it's a sad thing, but I, I guess I shouldn't be too. Uh, too shocked that the Bears are once again in uh, in just uh, mediocrity and uh, in, a, in a swamp of bullshit. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's it's a very tough position to be in. I I read somewhere. I, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but it seemed to be from credible sources that the Bears are just the second team in NFL history to start five and one and then lose five straight. Yeah, I saw so, that today too. Yeah, that 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 certainly says something. Um, all right. Well, moving on to some other headlines from throughout the week. And, uh, you know, Grace's parents are very, very fond of New Orleans. They visit all the time. It's one of their favorite cities, if not their favorite city in the entire state. And they requested that I speak uh, more about the Saints. So this is for the Runkles right here. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Saints real quick. I mean, obviously, everyone expected them to beat the Denver Broncos. But, look, uh, middle of the season, I felt a little uneasy about my early season prediction of having the Saints um, – being uh, in the Super Bowl, and now I feel a lot better about their standing right now. They're nine and two, and they they have the clear go ahead to get the one seed in the NFC. Have that buy should the seven playoff seeds currently stand. If they add the eighth, then the buys get thrown into flux there. But if they do end up getting to that point, which it seems they're they're on a great path to do so. I, we've seen this team win in multiple ways, and now they're doing it with a tight end at quarterback. And and Alvin Kamara is obviously playing great football. He's one of the best, if not you know, top three running back in the NFL right now, especially this season. I I, I don't see a whole lot of weak points here from the Saints, and and as as poor of a overall offensive effort they gave in terms of like through the air, they still put up thirty one points. And, and the Broncos go into the game thinking, look, we're not going to do much on offense at all, obviously. But maybe our defense can step up, make a couple big plays, and somehow make this a close game. And it was the complete opposite. It's a 31-3 to absolute, you know, drumming of, of the Broncos. So, look, you got to give the Saints credit. They're 9-2 and two and looking great. Uh, going into you know one more week or maybe two more weeks of Taysom Hill, and then they get Drew Brees back. It, they're, they're clicking on all cylinders right now, and it seems to only be getting better. Let it be known, Runkles, I've had the Saints in my Super Bowl playing first class for a while here. Yes, um, yeah. I also I don't want to talk too much about the Saints because my, my point uh, today is going to be all about the NFC contenders and how literally wide open the NFC is, and I'll, I, I, I have some theories and some and some reasons why the NFC right now is so wide open. Depending, on, I think Seattle can make a make a real claim to the NFC depending on how they play uh, tonight on the road in Philly. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, overall in that game, I, I just say I think again my biggest takeaway from that game is kudos to the NFL for not giving the Broncos an out and moving that game. The Broncos put themselves in that bad position by what you know a lot of uh, by breaking protocols. They all the teams know the protocols and. Uh, Yes, is it a z- basically zero percent chance that one of the that that uh, all three of those quarterbacks for them were you know sick and actually would have spread the disease and the virus? Yeah, uh, I, I mean we all we all know enough about this virus to say most likely they all would have been fine and one of them could have played. 
But the NFL, you know, kudos to them for staying strong and saying, no, no, you broke the code of protocols. You deal with this. You're playing this game. You figure it out. And uh, to Hinton, uh, the kid who played, man. Uh, mad respect. Mad res- Again, mad respect. Uh, a tip of the cap to him. And for the Broncos, I don't want to see the Broncos fire Vic Fangio. I think Fangio deserves another year and a chance with a real quarterback and a real identity offensively. Because uh, I do think Fangio is a good coach, especially compared to what you're seeing from Anthony Lynn, who is clearly tipping his hand, is not capable of, of handling situations. And a lot of the other bad coaching that's going on in the league right now, you could do a lot worse than Vic Fangio. Uh, so uh, as far as my thoughts on on, on the on the New Orleans purely in that game, yeah, my, my, my thing is, like I said earlier, it says a lot about what where Jameis Winston's at. If Taysom Hill was passing the ball that poorly, in a must-win game, when you know the Broncos uh, are gonna tr- are gonna try trick plays, could do anything they can, and be weird and funky, you have got to win that game. And if Taysom Hill's playing that badly and he still gets to play, uh, it says a lot about Jameis Winston. Mina Kimes, I think, tweeted out something to the effect of like, "How wh- how weird is this that the best quarterback in this game is not playing yeah. in this game? We- very <laughs> like, weird. <laughs> it's it's really really strange, Dan." Um, uh, yeah. The other thing I want, well, I just in 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 looking ahead too of you know what's going, on, what we're talking about next. I think the other thing is the Saints though avoided what a lot of other teams fell into. There were some bad losses yesterday for some teams that yep. really had a chance. I think that's what I would talk about next. Um, you know, rank how bad the losses were. Raiders, horrific loss. Um, Awful. Um, Colts. I don't want to say it's a bad loss because they now split with the Titans. And they're still right there in the division. They looked really bad in their loss, but the Titans looked really bad in their loss to the Colts two weeks ago. So I, you know, I kind of I flipped that. I know we're going to talk about that in a bit. But the so the Raiders horrific loss, Cardinals horrific loss, uh, and then the Rams horrific loss. I I don't want to say it's a bad loss for the Bucks, but I mean at home, you don't want to lose at home to a playoff caliber, Super Bowl caliber team if you think you're a playoff caliber team. So of the Raiders, Cardinals, and Rams, which loss was worse to for you? I would say, I mean, the the, Ra- the Raiders is probably yes, agreed. The, the That's the right one. answer. It's got to be the, the Raiders has to be number one there because of the way in which they lost. I mean, you can't garner any offense in that game against an Atlanta defense that let's like be honest is not you know knocking the socks off of any offense in the yeah. NFL this year I mean they've been middle of the road at best and you are the Raiders who have been clicking on all cylinders coming off of a very close loss to the Chiefs and otherwise you were you had all the momentum and they were the big storyline it was a p- pitiful performance I, you know, it was a bad day for my uh, bandwagon teams that I talked about yeah. last week. It was the Colts and the Raiders, and both had some some really rough days. Yeah, but the Raiders in particular, I, I really don't think it's indicative as a whole of where the Raiders are at. I think this is, you know, one of those instances where you you remove their best performance and their worst performance. They're somewhere in the middle there, but nonetheless. When you're in a position to where they were in, where you're not going to win the division from the Chiefs, so you've got to fight your way uh, into this wild card conversation, looking great, and and obviously a very unconvincing performance by the Raiders in that one. And then I was close to saying the Rams, but it was just a three point loss. 
but still, that all being said, I mean, the Rams, too, in a similar position in the NFC West where the Cardinals and the Seahawks have kind of been seemingly vying for that top spot. But the Rams have been in that conversation this whole time. This was a prime opportunity against a divisional opponent that was without its starting quarterback, had had been depleted from injuries home. all season long. At home. And, man, just not, especially the first half, three points in the first half, I mean, terrible. Yeah, terrible. I, I'm going to talk about the Rams and Cardinals uh, during my segment because, obviously, I'm focusing on the NFC playoff picture and the NFC as a whole and how wide open it is. So I, I do want to focus on the Raiders here, and I, and I, 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 and I know you're going to talk about Atlanta. And, I, and Raheem Morris, I mean, this is why, and I know you're going to talk about this, but this is why you maybe, if you think you got a guy in your staff that deserves a chance – Raheem Morris could be earning himself a job here. I mean, this guy, I really Absolutely. like what you've seen out of Atlanta uh, here at the end of the year, and uh, I think he's a big reason for it. I will say this about the Raiders. I was talking with a, a, a friend in my office today. He's a he's one of our main sports guys, a, a, one of the legendary play-by-play guys here in the Tri-State. He's been doing it for 40 years, and he's a diehard Chiefs fan, and uh, obviously he's hating on the Raiders, and, and he – he thinks very low of the Raiders, obviously, as a diehard Chiefs fan. And I'll say this. For the Raiders, you kind of, I think, touched on a little bit. For the next decade, you know you're, you might get lucky and win your division once or twice over the next decade. And those once or twice will be uh, because of an injury to the Chiefs or, or a real weird off year or maybe the one year, the year after Andy Reid retires where the Chiefs are in a little bit of a all right, how do we piece it together the future going forward for Mahomes, right? You might get lucky winning your division once over the next decade. Twice would be insane. You, you Anytime you put yourself in a position to, to make a playoff run and you're going to be a wildcard team, you have got to find a way to, 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 get, to, to win, win games that we as the quote-unquote experts say are, are easy Ws for your schedule. To go in there and to put up a, just a total egg in Atlanta like that. That says a lot about John Gruden and his guys and where they're at mentally because that is that's not a good place to be. Uh, and uh, listen, I'm not trying to say the Raiders, neither of us had, I didn't have the Raiders in the playoffs at the beginning of the year. I don't know if you did. I don't think you did. No. So again, they're playing above our expectations, but then as soon as you become on the map like that, I got to see a lot more from you, but I'm, I'm really out on the Raiders. I immediately kicked them out of business class as far as the Super Bowl plane goes. And I, I do want to mention the Super Bowl plane as of right now, some changes. First class no longer includes Tampa. And uh, Seattle is in first class because we're doing this before the Sunday, uh, the Monday night game. Seattle losing to a, a an abysmal Eagles team would certainly kick them out of first class. But, Dan, first class to me is, is whittled down. The only reason I have New Orleans in there still is because I still think by a uh, – hair on my chinny chin chin they are the slight favorites in the nfc just because and i'll talk the nfc here uh just because of they're gonna it looks like have home field advantage but honestly if you really were twisting my arm and said no no no, mark you have to say which first class is teams do you think can win a super bowl right now i honestly think it's kansas city and pittsburgh and that's about it i'll give new orleans and seattle in first class because I think one of them will represent the NFC as of this moment. And if you get a Super Bowl, then you have a chance to win a Super Bowl. But if you were like, Mark, no, you have to bet your home, your house, your livelihood. Uh, there is no one in the NFL I want to touch for win a Super Bowl right now besides Kansas City or Pittsburgh. Uh, as far as business class goes, 
Tennessee, a big bounce back win for them. I still think Tampa has a chance to get to a, a championship game. Green Bay, Buffalo, and Cleveland. I'll say Cleveland because they're put, they're really finding an identity. And I don't trust Baker Mayfield, but their identity is so strong in Cleveland. I think Buffalo's ceiling is higher than Cleveland's. And I would even argue that maybe Baltimore and the Rams' ceiling is higher than Cleveland. But right now, I'm... Th- they're so much on shaky ground, and Cleveland has such an identity. I, I will give Cleveland business class, but uh, it's a weird, weird uh, – as far as – I've never been this uncertain about playoff teams in my life right now, Dan. It's really strange, and, and you know, that's had to do with something we've kind of mentioned throughout the year is there's like a, a, several teams – that are just super confusing to figure out. I mean, the Browns have been one of them because you like to think that their floor is fairly high. It's just that their ceiling is capped. But then they have, you know, a couple games where they get absolutely destroyed. And then it's like, well, okay, I guess back to the drawing board with that one. And then you think things about the Raiders. You know, wow, they beat the Chiefs. Like, or this team can really do something and, you know, really, you know, play spoiler in the playoffs. And then they get absolutely destroyed by an Atlanta team that, granted, has improved greatly, but uh, was nowhere near, you know, the uh, the top teams in the league. So it's been very confusing. The Colts too; they're probably the most confusing team for me. I just can't, I can't figure out what to do with the Colts. I jumped on their bandwagon last week, and I, I still think they're a great team, and they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, uh, I think I think pretty strongly about that, but. It's still, it's just like, man, what do you, what do you make of Phil Rivers in that offense? It's really hard to kind of parse your way through what their identity is and how they can win week in and week out because their defense puts up great performances. But then, you know, I, I was sure, I, I was sure Derrick Henry's massive, massive breakout game of the season was not going to come against the Colts. It's weird. And of course it does. I, I, so I you know, Henry's not. been, Henry's been, he's had very good games the past couple of weeks. I, I didn't see this coming against the Colts. Cause I agree. The Colts defense is very good. Uh, a lot like the bears defense though. Last night, sometimes really good defenses. They just don't have it. And, 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 and it's a time where like sometimes really good offenses are just out of sync. It happens. Um, and it happened at a bad moment for them in a really critical game, just like it happened for the bears at a bad moment in a really critical game. I think the Colts, uh, the, the the thing that uh, why I don't have them in business class anymore, I don't see Phillip Rivers winning two playoff games to get to a conference final. And in order to be in business class for me, you got to be in a conference final. I can see Tennessee doing it. They did it last year. I don't, at this moment right now, I don't see uh, Indy doing that. Dan, my final thoughts before we move on, uh, obviously to our, uh, to our, uh, uh, our, uh, what if segments, our main segments, and of course our our bold strategy, which is coming up next. Can I just go back to Thanksgiving Day really quick? And, and um, and oh um, yeah, absolutely. What Washington getting a win over the Cowboys? I didn't see that coming. I had the Cowboys uh, building momentum off their big win. Uh, officially, now I think the Cowboys. I I'm done with the Cowboys. I think it's a. I don't think they win the NFC East. At this point in time, Washington, Philly, and the Giants, I feel, all have a better spot, a better chance. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of that coming up here. And then for the Lions, kudos for the Lions for making the tough decision, but the right decision. Matt Patricia did not deserve to finish out the full year. You have to figure out now if it's Patricia, if why Stafford has been struggling even, 
or do you have to blow up this whole thing? So they're getting to the bottom of it. Kudos to them for doing that. And then for the Texans, man, oh, man, are they starting to really put some things together and Watson playing well. And that win over um, New England looks even better now because of New England's win over Arizona. Uh, And for New England, you know, that loss to the Texans doesn't look as bad in a weird way. It just is if you're a New England fan saying the New England's trying to get to the playoffs, that really kills them, that Texans loss now. So that kind of mishmash of the middle of the AFC, um, the Texans job is becoming more and more appealing. And if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I know I don't want to be battling my Patrick Mahomes. If you could get to the NFC and take an NFC job, I, I, I might. But, man, does Watson, that's an appealing, appealing job because of that kid right there is so special. There's so much to work with, and and they have good offensive talent and Will Fuller, and they've got you know um, plenty of talent on the team. You get JJ Watt, you know, three time Defensive uh, Player of the Year. So there's there are things to be excited about with that team. So yes, it, it will be a, a really nice job. To your point about the NFC East, I think it's just going to be back and forth for the rest of the year. It's going to come down to the final two weeks. And, you know, one team's just going to pull ahead in the final game. I mean, that's just how it's going to play out. We've had that division switch leaders seemingly every week for the past couple months. So uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how all of this unfolds, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, All right, as we get ready to uh, move towards our main features and our headlines, uh, let's start with our bold strategy, Cotton, moment of the week. And, I mean, it has to be the Denver Broncos quarterback situation. Of course, they ended up starting practice squad wide receiver Kendall Hinton, who had never taken an NFL snap. He was their quarterback, starting quarterback, one completed pass, 13 yards on the day as they muster just three points. Uh, Obviously, really, really tough situation for him going into this one. Mad respect for him to be able to pull this off. He was a quarterback in college at Wake Forest, um, so I guess they felt, you know, that, that this was their best chance of what they had. But before deciding on going with their practice squad wide receiver, they actually petitioned the NFL to let them start one of two of their assistant coaches, Justin Rescati or Rob Calabrese, who had been college quarterbacks in their time as well. Mark, they were going to put a coach in at quarterback. This is where... This is where things got to in 2020, the year of our Lord, week 12 of the NFL season. I I don't even know what to say. It's it's a bold strategy uh, (laughs) because you could, those poor people, their lives are at risk. Uh, It's bold bold to put those coaches' lives at risk. Um, Imagine that phone call, like that coach being like, oh, hey, man, listen, you got to suit up today. It's just going to happen. In defense of them asking for it, I don't don't blame them asking because all bets are off when they have no idea what they're going to do. You know what I mean? And you're down to your one, your only guy to play quarterback is your, you know, wide receiver on your practice squad who was a red shirt. Uh, the last time he played was a red shirt sophomore Wake Forest before transferring over to wide receiver. You know, I, I, I don't know what else to say besides the fact that I give them credit for trying to get all options. I will say though, the boldness is it's just, inc- it's insane. And it's one of these moments where I, I do want us to savor it in a weird way. 
2020 and this COVID pandemic is it's hor- it's horrific, and the lives lost and the death toll, and there's a lot to that we need to remember and learn and grow from. But if you can try to find the little nuggets of funny, ridiculousness, or weird, a lot of them are happening in sports when you get the Masters on NFL weekends, and you get the Denver Broncos legitimately trying to get a coach to play quarterback. I, I it's one of those you just kind of laugh. <laughs> And you say, I don't think we'll ever see this again in our in our lifetimes as football fans. I, I actually have a theory about this. I think my guess is they put that request into the NFL to make a clear statement to the league at how depleted they were and how serious this situation was to hopefully get the league to let them push the game back. That's my thought on why they did this to be like, look at what you're making us do. We're going to have to start a a coach at quarterback. Now, you know, obviously with that strategy, they, they certainly were fully anticipating the league to say no, but Hey, what if the league said yes? And then you're like, Oh shoot. We, we were just, we were actually just kidding about that. But, uh, all right, well, coach get out there. Good luck. Good luck. It's a crazy situation. Crazy times. Uh, indeed. All right. Now it's time for our headlines of the week as we get ready for week 13 of the NFL season. Mark, I know you've got a lot of thoughts, as you alluded to, about the NFC picture here uh, with things really being uh, difficult to foresee as we go down the stretch over the final weeks of the NFL season. Uh, So I'll let you take it away to start with your Hespin headlines. Uh, Yeah, you know, Dan – my headline is simply this. The NFC is wide open. And I I can make a case as I'm going through in our scenarios here um, for any NFC team in the playoff hunt or in the playoffs right now to win the NFC and for any one of them to also get blown out in their first game. And that, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. I mean, even last year, we think about how there wasn't a ton of depth in the NFC, but we, you knew it's like, okay, well, Packers and Niners. You know what I mean? Like, you could pencil some things in. And this year, I'm not penciling anything in. I'm not. I'm certainly not writing in a pen. And, uh, you know, let's just start with, as of right now, where we stand, the NFL uh, standings for the NFC, if you look up the playoffs right now, before the uh, Eagles play uh, the um, the Seahawks tonight, New Orleans, one seed, nine and two. Green Bay, two seed, eight and three. Seattle, Seven and three at the three seed. The Giants four and seven at the four seed. And then your three wild card teams is the Rams at uh, fifth seed because they have the tiebreaker over Tampa, and they're at seven and four versus seven and five. And then Arizona at six and five. Now I do not want to include Chicago, Minnesota, or San Francisco because I don't think any of them will make the playoffs. And if they do. Uh, they'll squeak in as maybe Arizona falls off the map and maybe Minnesota squeaks in or Chicago squeaks in, but it's just not really relevant. But what I would talk about here, Dan, for these other four teams, um, five teams, excuse me, New Orleans, Green Bay, Seattle, Rams, Tampa. I think they're the five that I feel very confident uh, will make the playoffs and the five that you could say, all right, exclude whoever wins the NFC East and exclude whoever becomes in that last wild card spot, your five teams. Every single one of them I could see getting blown out by the other and every single one of them I could see, well, you know what? They could be the one that makes the NFC championship game or a Super Bowl run. 
It's very wide open. I'll say this about all of them. Let me kind of quickly bullet why I, I like and why I dislike. First of a New Orleans, the one team you'd say, no, 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 Mark, come on. They're going to be the NFC team in the championship game representing the Super Bowl. I've seen this story with New Orleans every year the past three years and literally saw this story last year when Drew Brees broke his thumb, missed five games, and they went on a winning streak with Teddy Bridgewater. We're seeing it again now, and what happened when they got to the playoffs? Massive disappointment and underperformance by the offense and losing at a home playoff game. And so I'm sorry if I feel zero confidence with New Orleans right now, and I don't feel confidence with New Orleans. I would argue that New Orleans um, has the best chance to make the uh, Super Bowl in the NFC, and also I feel the least confident about because I've seen the story. So, I mean, that alone says what you goes to show what you feel about New Orleans. Um, Green Bay, we talked about them. Uh, when they get play a physical football team on the road, it looks like they're going to probably have to go on the road. Uh, I just don't trust them. Uh, they've blown out. I could see a physical defense like the Rams beating up a Green Bay. I, we've seen a physical defense like Tampa beat up Green Bay. I see Green Bay's often struggling um, against us to score enough points to get up with Seattle and Seattle the points they can score. Uh, and, and conversely, for Seattle, their defense can let anyone score. As of right now, they seem to be tightening it up a little bit. Excited to watch them tonight. Um, but we also know that Seattle offensively, they're a little just too Russell Wilson dependent. So that is a, is a huge worry. Uh, and as far as the Rams go, the Rams, I, I have a little more confidence in because their blowout loss or their bad loss, excuse me, to the Niners was a divisional loss. So I can say, all right, well, divisional losses, you, you throw out a lot of divisional games because you all know each other really, really well. But it does say something to me that the Rams cannot get out of their own way against the people in their own division. Why aren't we trashing Sean McVay right now for being 0-4 against uh, Kyle Shanahan in the past four games? Like, wh- like why-, why are we not? And I think a lot of it's just like, oh, well, it's division. We make excuses, so w- we don't really dive too hard in on the Rams. But the other part is I still feel really good about the Rams because they have great pieces on defense. And when Jared Goff rolls and that offense has, has time and clicks, their offense is very good. So the NFC is confusing. It makes my brain hurt. Uh, I think all the teams are very capable of winning and losing. I think Seattle and what they do tonight, I don't want to give away my picks and what I think, but I think it's going to be very telling for where they fall in the hierarchy. The reason my first class in my Super Bowl plane only contains New Orleans and Seattle right now is because if I had to had to force gun to my head, you got to bet the house. I like that New Orleans will have home field and I don't like new I don't like Green Bay at New Orleans. I don't like that matchup for Green Bay. I don't like the Rams at New Orleans. I don't like Tampa at New Orleans. Uh, as far as the Seattle goes, why I like Seattle I'll keep them in first class purely because I think their defense is starting to play better. It seems like they now have a fast track to win their division, possibly get a two seed, so host some playoff games. And also, they have the second best quarterback in the NFL. So that's that's where I'm at in the NFC. I think it's a I think it's a total cluster. 
I am not going to be betting NFC playoff games very much, I think, as far as uh, as far as money lines and who I feel confident winning. Um, I, I, I still think the, the AFC playoff picture is much easier to figure out, and I still think that Kansas City and Pittsburgh, whoever of those teams makes the Super Bowl, should feel very confident against whoever they get to play in the NFC. The depth in the NFC, there's a lot. I think there's a there's a lot of quality, but I don't think there's a lot of blow me away, guarantee Super Bowl. I do not think the NFC is going to win the Super Bowl this year, barring COVID and crazy injuries from Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Uh, it's a mess right now, Dan, and 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 you can convince me any given day who is and who is not the class of the NFC right now. My gut says New Orleans and Seattle because New Orleans it looks like we'll have home field and Seattle is the second best quarterback in the league. And and I know that's not a lot of great evidence for either of those sides, but that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah, a point well taken. I mean, especially if if they end up going with an eight seed, uh, should they have to cancel games over the next several weeks? It's going to be even more confusing to to figure out because there are there are teams all the way down to I mean heck e- even the Falcons at four and seven like though there's teams all the way down there that could make a push for that eight seed. yeah because through five through seven in the NFC you're very well going to have one maybe two wildcard teams that are nine and seven well and if you I mean, give- right now the if you give yeah. Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson a buy doing that as well I like them both a lot more than even than the Saints. Um, sure. So the Saints, for me, the most confidence stems from a one seed. If they have to go on the road, yeah. they don't trust it very much. They play in a dome all year I, round. I just, I'm sorry. Um, I know people but, are going to hate on me, say, no, no, Mark, New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. But we saw this movie last year. We literally saw it, and I convinced myself, no, Drew Brees, fresh legs, fresh arm. He had five weeks off. He had a little bit of a tune-up at the end of the season. He's going to have the exact same thing. And they laid a total egg in the playoffs like they've done the past couple years. So I, my confidence in them really low. Like, like Dan, let me play this game with you right now. I, I'll, I'll play this game on you. And it just, new, let's say neutral field. Do you think, neutral field right now, do you think Tampa Bay could beat the Rams? Yes. Do you think the Rams could beat Tampa Bay in a neutral field? Yes. Yeah. Do you think Seattle? <laughs> yeah. Do you think Seattle could beat uh, the Rams neutral field? Yep. Do you think the Rams could beat Seattle neutral field? Sure do. Do you think Tampa Bay could beat Seattle neutral field? Yeah. Do you think Seattle could beat Tampa <laughs> Bay neutral field? You know, I that one's actually tough. But yes, it's like, the same thing. Yes. Do you think New probably Orleans yes. could beat yeah. Seattle neutral field? Yeah. Do you think Seattle could beat New Orleans neutral field? Yes. It's a yeah, me- yeah, I mean, you can convince yourself either, but when you do it with the AFC, you go neutral field Tennessee Kansas City. No. Do you think neutral field Tennessee Pittsburgh? No, nah, not really. Do you think neutral field uh, you know, Tennessee uh Kansas City or Cleveland even. Cleveland. You know, you know yeah, what I mean? So you start doing it with these other yeah. teams the uh, seeding Beyond New Orleans getting the one seed, I don't think it's going to matter much. I think it's going to be a lot about – you could convince me of who's playing hot at that moment. It's very wide open, the NFC, and it's and it's annoying because we want answers, and hopefully the NFC will bring us more clarity over the next couple of weeks. For sure. The, for this sure. argument for me started with how 
absolutely annoyed I was that the Rams lost. I was ready. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. I was ready to anoint like the Rams, 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 the Rams bandwagon. But losing at home to a Jimmy G-list Niners team, man, Sean McVay, you have got to figure out your buddy Kyle Shannon because that is going to be killer for you to make deep playoff yeah. runs because you're not going to get bye weeks. You're not going to win divisions if you can't beat the Niners consistently. If Kyle Shanahan's going to be the thorn in his side for the next decade, that's going to be like the new, you know, major rivalry oh, that yeah. we need to pay attention to because they could play spoiler real quick for each other. But right now it's, it's all 49ers that have the, uh, the edge in that for sure. All right, Mark. Well, going from talking about playoff teams and, and, you know, the, the upper echelon of teams. I'm, I'm going to go the other direction and we're going to just talk about all the, you know, just the crap at the bottom right now. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, this focuses for me on, on interim coaches and why I think that teams like the jets, the Jaguars chargers need to move on now and do it before the season ends. Because to me, there is nothing left to gain by keeping your head coach in this position when the writing is couldn't be clearer that the teams are going to move in a different direction next year. I'll say maybe the Chargers would be that one team that might end up keeping Anthony Lynn next season. And they shouldn't. Uh, and, and, and they probably shouldn't. Uh, especially, my goodness, what was that at the end of the game? You got 40 seconds left. You get a huge play down to the goal line and you're like oh we're gonna run the football here with no timeouts I mean they they gave up entirely obviously it was it was a a very long shot for them to score get an onside kick score again but give yourselves a chance that was just terrible that was an awful decision uh but I digress my point here all stems from the fact that while the uh, history of interim coaches is not a favorable one there are anomalies that have turned out to be great. And this kind of the motivation for this came out of that Falcons win, because that was, I was so impressed with how the Falcons took down a Raiders team that had every reason to come out firing after a close loss to the chiefs that probably, you know, deeply upset them. Gruden seemed really pissed off after that game. This was a team, obviously a divisional opponent that they had the better of earlier in the year. They were on a hot streak. It ended And then for them to come back with a chance against the Falcons, who by all intents and purposes are not playoff bound, that was super impressive for the Falcons to pull that one off. Raheem Morris has shown that he can take a team that really has nothing left in them and elevate them to a point where he adds some of that extra juice, adds some of that extra motivation to to propel them to a winning record. They are four and two. During his stint here as the interim coach, they were 0-5 before with Dan Quinn when they decided to move off of their head coach. Now, they have a really tough schedule left, so it's very, very unlikely that Morris takes this team to the playoffs. I mean, they're in the 13th seed right now at 4-7, and and they have a lot of teams to contend with to even potentially make a run at the playoffs. Yeah, they got to play the Bucks twice. They play the Chargers. They've got, they, they play the Saints. They have very tough opponents down the road so I'm not um you know having any illusions here about where they're going to end up but the point is Morris could be that guy that has shown that he has enough juice um that injected into this team and that they have rallied behind him 
to give this guy a shot. And if it's not with Atlanta, perhaps some other teams are looking. And, and the point of this all is none of this would have happened if the Atlanta Falcons said, you know what, we're just going to ride it out with Dan Quinn. We'll figure it out at the end of the season and we'll get things done there. None of this would have happened. And that's why teams like the Jets, who have nothing to gain by keeping Adam Gason at this point, there is just nothing there. Move off. See if, wow, some random assistant coach on your team uh, can rally a group. Can he rally them to three wins this year and, and show something? And it's not just on the stat sheet. It's what you as in front office see day in and day out about how this team responds to him in practice, responds to him, uh, you know, going on, you know, road stretches or what have you. There is something to be learned by just throwing an interim coach into the mix and seeing what happens. More often than not, it's not going to be a coach that you stick with, but you're not sticking with the guy you have right now. So there truly is nothing to lose. The Jaguars fired their GM, David Caldwell, for good reason. He had built, you know, a good defensive structure uh, for that 2017-18 runs that they had there. But then he also was the guy that failed to sign any of them and traded them away, failed to sign Allen Robinson. There were a lot of terrible moves. They missed on quarterback routinely. So it made sense. They're moving off of him. But then they keep Doug Marone there. And I'm like, you guys are 1-10. in 10. Doug Marone is almost surely not going to be the head coach of this team next year. So have an interim come in and see what happens. And, and, and finally, with the Chargers, it's the same reason. Maybe someone injects some life into this Chargers team that has looked great at times, has been competitive, but once again, they're the same old Chargers when they can't win a close game. They just can't pull it out at the end of the day. They always end up losing in the fourth quarter, and then some of those boneheaded moves at the end of the game like we saw yesterday just make you scratch your head and go, what are we doing? Detroit moved on, Atlanta moved on, Houston moved on, and I think they'll be better off for it. And before I, I, I lend this to a discussion, um, Rick Goslin had an article in Sports Illustrated in 2018 where he kind of detailed all the research about interim coaches, uh, saying that since 1960, there have been 97 interim head coaches. Now, mind you, this was in 2018, so the numbers have changed a little bit, but the whole premise is still remain. Only 16 of those 97 had winning records during their stint at in, as interims, and only two wound up to go to the playoffs. So, like I said before, there is no – you're not going to blow – uh, the lid off of anything here by having an interim head coach likely come into the mix. But it is possible, and there have been those anomalies, like Don Coriel, who, while he had a head coaching gigs before, resurrected his career as Air Coriel with the 78 Chargers and Dan Bouts. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer, uh, he had a great run after being an interim head coach. Marv Levy resurrected his career with the Buffalo Bills as an interim coach. Jeff Fisher although we can certainly debate about his effectiveness as a head coach. Guy went to Super Bowl. He had some great seasons there with the Titans and the Oilers. Uh, Jason Garrett and then Doug Marone, as we just mentioned, were all interim head coaches that ended up getting head coaching gigs. So the point is, it can happen. Let an interim coach come in. What is the worst that could happen? Jets, you're 0-11. Jags, you're 1-10. Chargers, you're 3-8. and just, just give in to the process and also, an added bonus is you get extra time to now start 
you know, having actual discussions with potential candidates and actually fielding um, some sort of potential prospects instead of having things up in the air, especially with the Chargers. We don't know right now. I mean, if you're the Jags and Jets, people know that that job is going to be available, so they know maybe I'm going to be a candidate or not. But if you're the Chargers, you know, make your decision and, and let us know now. I, I just think it's the better route for these teams to take at this point. Yeah, I love what you're saying there. I think for me, one of the things that uh, I wanted your thoughts on this, it popped into my head as you were talking, is maybe a, a, another point to it as well. It creates clarity. You know, it, it creates that sense of, hey, as an organization, the owners decided we're moving on. Like the decision has been made. So now it puts on everyone on high alert. You sing it in Atlanta. Uh, guys are now realizing, oh, bleep, we are now legitimately playing for our jobs. And as far as the Jets case and the and the Jags case, I don't hate the idea of letting Doug Marone and Adam Gase go, not because you're actually trying to win games, because I still think their goal is to not win any games, but is it, for me, if I'm a Jets fan, I want to know, wait a minute, if we get Adam Gase out of the building and all of a sudden Darnold starts going like a world beater and he starts playing like Justin Herbert and looking amazing like the draft pick you thought he was, well, then that changes not only maybe what you do at the top of the draft, but also it increases his own trade value. So you want to get the most out of the players at this point in time. If you know you're done with your coach and your GM, what's your goal as an organization? Well, obviously to make all of your players uh, value increase because you're going to start clearing house, making trades, making deals, and you want as much as you can get for them as opposed to selling as low as possible because you're an 0-16 or a 1-15 or whatever team you are. So I think organizationally it can help create clarity as well. Yeah, and it just it, it lets people know that you're – you're on point and you know what you're doing. You're decisive for a future head coaching prospect next year. You want to be able to show them, look, I'm able to make the decisions and stick with them yeah. and, and deal with the results, you know, instead of having to push things off. I think it says a lot about a, an organization that's willing to admit their mistakes and move off sooner rather than later. And, and that goes with quarterbacks, but pri primarily also head coaches in this league. As we uh, you know, get ready to close out the show here, Mark, we'll, we'll go to our what-if segment, and this brings up a, a big question of uh, a game that we've talked about with the Atlanta Falcons beating the Las Vegas Raiders. What if the Raiders have an absolute falling apart? What does this do for the Derek Carr situation, John Gruden, the Raiders as an organization, because... This sort of seemed to be the year where things were going to come together, and then if it just unravels just as quickly, what are the prospects of the Raiders moving forward? It seems like a really you know tough situation for them to be in right now, albeit just after one game. Well, they're on a two-game losing streak, uh, mind you. Even though they played well against the Chiefs, they still lost that game. Um, for me, the Raiders... I think it's really important for the Raiders to know what they are. And it's really important for the Raiders um, to start making decisions toward their future in that regard. 
The Raiders, for the next decade, as I said, have will be lucky if they win the division once or twice. Like twice would be incredible because you're in the division with Patrick Mahomes, and now you're in a division with Justin Herbert, who I think a lot of people would argue, if you're not necessarily as of right now this day best quarterbacks in the league, but if you're trying saying I get one guy for the next ten years. I don't think you get you could find five guys that I'd like for the next 10 years more than Justin Herbert. I mean, this kid looks like he is completely the real deal. So, if you're going to be a wild card team, you need to start figuring out, okay, in my opinion, if you if I'm building a team that knows it's most likely going to be a wild card team over the next 10 years, then you need to build a team that is explosive on both sides of the football. Maybe not consistent, but explosive, right? To where you can go toe-to-toe offensively. And that's why that Atlanta loss is so mind-numbing because they have pieces that are uh, explosive pieces uh, with, uh, is it uh, Ruggs, uh, Ruggs third or whatever, you know, the kid from Alabama, Jacobs, um, Waller. Three amazing pieces to keep building around, and also uh, wide receivers. Uh, you know, I, I like Algalor. Algalor has turned into a deep threat for them. So then it falls yeah, and on Hunter Renfro is, is yeah. a reliable. So then slot it target. falls on Derek Carr, and then you start the, the wheels start turning. Okay, do we need to move off of Derek Carr? Does this decision happen? I think these next couple games are big. If Derek Carr can play consistent and play big and get them to the playoffs, I think he keeps his job. For another couple of years. But if you're a Raiders fan, is that what you want? Or do you want to go and find the Justin Herbert or the Mahomes competitor? Because it's they're in a tough spot. I mean, I know as a Bears fan, when you are when you have a generational quarterback in your division, which means basically you're gonna get lucky if you win your division once every five years, then you need to build a team that knows that can win wild card playoff games, road playoff games. And in order to do that, you need to be as explosive on both sides of the ball as possible. Maybe not consistent, but explosive, meaning turnovers, create them, and big play touchdowns make them happen regularly. And I just don't know if Derek Carr is the quarterback for that type of offense to play that type of way. I think he's a really good quarterback, and I agree they're in an extremely difficult situation and a tough spot because they're in that middle ground where they're not in a full rebuild, but they're also not like win now ready either. So they're in that spot where their defense is pretty young and they've gotten some new pieces over the last couple years. I mean, they they added a ton of rookies uh, to the lineup this year uh, in the draft. And on the other side of the ball, you have a a veteran who's not old at quarterback, but also isn't, you know, a sensational up and coming talent. He is what he is. And, um, and then you've got, you know, pieces like Jacobs and and the, uh, the other weapons that you mentioned in Waller and such. So it's really tough to figure them out and figure out where they go, because if they don't make the playoffs this year, after the surge that they saw in the middle of the season, then it becomes, well, yeah, do, do you try and move off Derek Carr to get maybe a couple more pieces? But then at that point, you're committing to an actual full-on rebuild until you can find that next quarterback. 
And are you going to be able to find that next quarterback in the next draft when you're not going to have the high enough pick? Are you going to move Derek Carr to get those picks? And is a team willing to go for Derek Carr when he's not young enough necessarily to be a guy for the next 10 years? It's it's a really striking um, balance that they have to figure out here because um, Derek Carr has the talent. It seems like John Gruden's really excited about him and happy with him, and they've been able to do a lot of good things with him this year. It's one game maybe they can return to form and and, and make a push to the wild card if they may if they win a playoff game or even you know lose by you know a slim margin or something. Then I think they stick with what they got and just try and make another run at it next year. But yeah, look if they fall apart, I think I think they're probably going to have to find a way to to garner some more draft picks and just find the next quarterback because uh, at this point it doesn't seem like they're in win now readiness and so it's going to take a few years for this defense to come to full form and by then Derek Carr is going to be at the end of his contract so you might as well just try and move off it now well you know I also think kind of where it's hard because we have to as NFL fans and people who love the NFL you also, it's Patrick Mahomes is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing that we get to watch him. He's that amazing. It's so much fun to watch. He really is that great. But it's a curse because it makes us talk, have these conversations. The Bears would kill for Derek Carr right now. And I think the Bears Absolutely. would be a legitimate contender in the NFC if they had a Derek Carr right now. The Patriots, I think, would kill for a Derek Carr right now. The problem is when you're in the division – and you have a Derek Carr, it's not good enough. You know what I mean? And, and I yeah. know. I'm a Bears fan. Like, I know. Cleveland, they know. When you're in a division with Ben Roethlisberger for 15 years, like, you know, the 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 Johnny Menzels, the Brandon Whedons, the the uh, Baker Mayfields are not good enough to get past big Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, you, when, you're, when you're a Miami Dolphins fan, when you're a Jets fan, and you have to deal with Brady for how many years – Look at uh, look at uh, NFC South quarterbacks. Jameis Winston, they finally knew he's not good enough to get past Breeze. Uh, you know, uh, Atlanta has struggled. Even a, a good quarterback like Matt Ryan, not good enough to consistently get past Breeze. Um, it's maddening. It really is maddening. And that's why teams like the Texans, they have got to get their shit together. Because you have the guy who should be the feared guy in the division and yet you're in the bottom of the of the division. You know what I mean? So, like, yep, you've yep. got to – we should be sitting here saying, oh, well, you know, we love Tennessee, but Tennessee – but Tannehill's not good enough to get past Watson, and yet the Houston Texans are blowing it so bad. So, that's where – like, that's where if you're the Raiders, it's a really tough spot to be in because there's going to be a lot of teams that would kill to have your position, uh, to kill to have your quarterback, uh, but – you're just in a bad position and you're going to be constantly stuck with that. What if this guy's not good enough to beat the all world Patrick Mahomes? It's also why the NFC West is such a fascinating division because the guy is Russell, but the other three teams all have coaches now that we think are very capable, very good. Two of them are Super Bowl coaches and they have, they're building teams that are good enough to win that division but uh, again, the question goes to for San Francisco, for uh, and for LA, 
Is their quarterback good enough to get them over that hump to beat Russell Wilson consistently? It's a tough spot to be in. If you don't have the second-best quarterback in your division, you're in a nightmare scenario. And um, right now, I think the the Raiders have the third-best quarterback in their division. Uh, Justin Herbert, I, I think, is a better quarterback than Derek Carr. It's a nightmare scenario to be in. It's also why if it, it goes to show how bad your organization is. Matthew Stafford's been the second-best quarterback in the division for the past 10 years, and yet the Lions consistently have been the worst team in the division for the past 10 years. Right. That yep. That's a smack yep. in the face. That is a, here's your sign, your organization's not good enough. Right now, Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback in his division. He's the worst te- second-worst team in his division. Your organization's not good enough. Uh, it can be as simple as that. Yeah, it, it's it's very frustrating, and that just goes to show how how much of a you know how much importance getting a quarterback in the NFL is. I mean, it's always been that way, but getting not just a quarterback but an elite one now with the, how many quarterbacks are better and better, uh, you you have to have the top guy, one of those elite quarterbacks to to make consistent runs, and that's that's just how it is. And uh, speaking of that, <clears throat> as we go into our Monday night. Uh, predictions we have one of those elite quarterbacks in Russell Wilson in Philadelphia taking on the Eagles and Carson Wentz Seattle on the road getting six and a half in this one uh, over under at 49 what are your thoughts on this one Mark I mean I think we both have the Seahawks winning this one but this also could spell a moment for Carson Wentz at home to absolutely have one of the games where he turns things around and with all that's been said about him this season, to to have a big game, somewhat of a bounce-back performance for him, and make this a close one. Uh, but then on the flip side, uh, Seattle's defense has been improving. They have a chance to really, you know, pound this one home as well and have a convincing win to, to keep a, a stranglehold in the NFC West. So you'd argue if you're both sides of the football, right? If you're the Seattle defense, you say, hey, this is a get-right game for us to keep growing, right? A bat, An offense coming in that's really struggling, has no identity, and a quarterback that's really struggling. And if you're the Eagles, you're saying the same thing on the flip side. Hey, this is our chance as an offense to get right, right, against the Seattle defense that has been getting a little bit better. They got their guys now, Dunlap's healthy, Adams is uh, you know, off the trade, and Adams is healthy in there, uh, but they're still struggling overall to in a historically bad numbers. So, when you have those two things, I then look at the other side of the ball, and the and the flip side of it is the Seattle offense is really clicking right now against a defense in Philly that I think has some really good personnel and some really solid players and a great foundation, but they a lot like the Bears defense. You wonder why sometimes they can really struggle. It's like, well, when they're getting nothing from their offense and they're constantly on the field, it tires them out and and it's tougher to play defense in the NFL. I also will say this. I'm sick and tired of betting on the Eagles and thinking this is the Eagles get right game and then being embarrassed. So for the time being, I will not be picking the Eagles. Now, I hate that because I also feel like, you know, there's that flip side. Then it's like, oh, because Mark's not picking the Eagles now, the Eagles are going to show up and have a really good game, and it's going to bite him in the ass twice. You know what I mean? He's going to bet on the Eagles, they right. lose. Not bet on the Eagles, and they win. Stay away from it. I, I, I'll go as simple as this. Russell Wilson's second-best quarterback in this league. Uh, he's got the better supporting cast around him. They should win this game. It's Monday night, 2020. Things can happen. 
I I I still like I I'm going to go with Seattle. I think the uh, what is the line? The plus six. Uh, Seattle minus six and a half. It's a lot. It's a touchdown. Um, I would I would uh, I would not take the points. I I would take Seattle. Okay. In a, in a money line, but I think it's I think it's the over hits. I think thirty three. No, I'll go thirty three twenty seven. Seattle gets a victory. I think it's I think Seattle's up something like thirty to seventeen, and maybe the the Eagles score a couple late uh, once Seattle's already kind of got it in the bag to close it in and and, and Eagles cover. But uh, I like Seattle in this game. I like Seattle in this game too, and I like them to cover. Uh, I think uh, Seattle will be able to sustain long enough drives to really keep Carson Wentz from uh, being able to work any of his magic on the field consistently enough. And I think the Seahawks defense uh, will continue their improved trajectory uh, to win this game, especially when they've got, you know, uh, some of these other teams breathing down their neck. Now they got benefits from the Rams losing and the Cardinals losing. So that helps. And the Eagles, you know, even if they lose, are still very much in contention yep. for the division. Um, so that all being said, I think Seahawks win 30-20. to 20. And before we uh, depart here, I know we already gave our predictions uh, on Thanksgiving, but obviously the Steelers-Ravens game has been moved twice now from Thanksgiving to Sunday, from Sunday to Tuesday. And could be canceled. Uh, Schefter tw- tweeted today that uh, the, the cancellation lo- is looking more and more likely. Yes, yeah. So this um, this is very confusing. Oh, I think we, I think we just have um, an update on this one, and it looks like the Ravens Steelers game has now been pushed back to Wednesday. Per Adam Schefter. And so what are they going to do with that Ravens-Cowboys game? So uh, the Ravens-Cowboys game, uh, he has not said anything about that. Because so that far. was scheduled so for is... next. What What was that scheduled for? Yeah, they, all right. They they moved it to Sunday. They moved that game to Monday, actually. To Monday. They moved the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens game, I believe, was moved to Monday. So they were going to play Tuesday-Monday. And so now the Ravens, they're going to try and play Wednesday, Monday, or they're going to move that, I could probably move that other Ravens game then to Tuesday. So you go like Wednesday, Tuesday. Correct. So I bet we'll have yeah. Ravens yeah. Cowboys Tuesday night next week. That that likely will happen. And Pittsburgh and Washington were supposed to go on Sunday. But they'll probably That's be moved to a Monday. Be moved to- to Monday or Tuesday. Monday or Tuesday is a double. This is just crazy, man. The, the Steelers have really kind of been shafted. They uh, have this year. They they had to take a, an early bye week in week four because of the Titans but situation. A benefit for the they Steelers were, right now is they they have almost gained that time back. I know they're not necessarily getting their vacation and they, to chill like you would in a normal bye week, but as far as getting healthy and getting bodies rested, this is good for them. Well, they've had the bodies rested, but the thing is, too, they they were already going to be right now halfway through a 10-day-off period from their Thursday game against the Ravens. True, yeah. So they were going to have that mini-buy, but now it's, you know, really just they're just going to have a a normal week. And they they practiced for the majority of last week um, because of their anticipation of the game and then anticipation of the game on Sunday, so... Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been wild, but yeah, that's, that's the news as of now. So, um, you know, I, let's, 
we're just going to stick with our Thursday predictions at this point because who knows what's going to I still like the, the Steelers to win whenever that game yeah, is played. Yeah, for, for sure. You have RG3, yeah, they, especially now playing quarterback. I love the Steelers. It's 2020. We keep on adjusting. Um, so, yeah, we, we'll just keep on moving as we uh, get ready for December. It's going to be the final month of the year. Uh, in the next, uh, what is it? There's 31 days in November, right? I'm not 31 kidding. days. Uh, no, there's 30. There's 30. In December? Lies. No, 31. So tomorrow, no, no, no. I'm talking in November. Oh, yeah. So tomorrow is actually December It 1st. is December 1st tomorrow. So, awesome. We're, we're right there. Incredible. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for our, our week 12 recap. And uh, as it gets dangerously close to uh, week 13, uh, we'll see if the Steelers Ravens actually get a game in here. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. The NFL in flux as we speak. Um, other than that, uh, just be look forward to our power rankings uh, later this week. And uh, we'll look forward to, obviously, this Monday night matchup. See Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz in action. Enjoy the games and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll see you back here next Monday. Mm-hmm.